except, and it's funny because I'm actually trying a lot of my older stuff, I'm trying to digitize. Yeah. So now I've got, um, like, I've got the last few, I wound up getting the last few, um, the uh, Whedon Cassidy Astonishing X-Men run. Mm. And uh, I, I never finished it because it went, what, 24 issues? 24 issues and then the special. And then the special. Well, I had only gotten up to like issue 20 or whatever. So uh. I wound up getting the last four issues digitally from Comixology. And I'm like, well, as long as I've got those digitally, why don't I take these 20 issues that I have in, in, in paper book format and uh, like individual issues, why don't I scan them? Yeah. Digitize them myself, and then I'll have them digitally. You there know, you go. it involves destroying the books, but I, I, I don't, I don't hold with the physical value of books anymore. Anyway, speculator market. There's and all only that. very few things I'd yeah. be worried about. Like if it was like you're saying, I oh, Walking Dead one, might be worth. Yes, yeah, okay. Because then you, because my thing is, I'm gonna try and do the same thing. I want to try and get like some of my books together. I just want to figure, throw them on eBay, sell them for several bucks, mm -hmm. like the set, and then at least I can, when there's like a 99 cent sale, I can buy like a whole run of it. Right, exactly. And I'm not worried about getting value for value, exactly. Uh, some Marvel stuff I'm not so much worried about because I have the uh, su subscription to the Marvel Unlimited. Right, so that's that's Both less the for app, you. But also, I, I mean, I've had it since 2009 mm -hmm. or eight, and they've had it. They've only had the app for the last year or so. I've been, I used to be on my laptop. Mm -hmm. So a lot of Marvel stuff, like I don't need to worry about. I'm not even worried about buying because you know, like if I digital right now because I have this, you know, the Netflix version of it. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's not my yeah, basically. And eventually, you know, so if they ever stop doing that, yeah, I'll have to get it. But for now, I can go read. You know, a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. That's very true. Right and, there. and there is some uh, news for us to cover uh, digitally, but we'll get to that later on. Yes. Right now, you are listening to Issue 2 of the Four Color Fanboys podcast. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. I'm Brian Zeno. I'm Al Sedano. And uh, he, I am normally of the Podwitz podcast. You are normally of... Resurrections, and Adam Warlock podcast. Which is excellent. You should go check it out at uh, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Or go to podwitz.com. Right, exactly. But uh, so we got uh, comics. Yes. The nice thing about comics is they never stop. So we've always got good comic-y stuff to talk about. Yes. So... Um, uh, I, so we're going to start with the pull list, what the new stuff is that we're reading. And I'm going to start this month because um, uh, I want to sort of treat a little bit with uh, the Superior Spider-Man yes. as a whole. Because the series just ended. We just had the big series finale. And as we record this, we are two days from the publication of the third Amazing Spider-Man number one in history. <laughs> Is it um, really the third? Yeah, no, it is. Uh, as far as I can tell, because you have the original Amazing Spider-Man number one from 1963. And then the 99 reboot. The 99 Byrne reboot that it. Byrne did, exactly. Um, and then that eventually got folded back during the Straczynski run back into right. the, uh, the original numbering. numbering. So this is going to be... if the Not that they really do it anymore. I mean, if you look at the little... Um, what do they call it? The... the, the in, in, not insignia... Indicia. Indicia. If you look in the Indicia in the front of comic books these days, it never it's never volume one, number one, anymore, anything. They like never. That. It's but this accurate. would technically be Amazing Spider-Man volume three, number one. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. But uh, uh, um, Superior Spider-Man number thirty-one, mm -hmm. the series finale, uh, was uh, published two weeks ago, and so now we've read the whole thing. You've read the whole thing. Yeah, I read. Well, I didn't read the whole thing of the whole run. I, oh, the, I read the last read the several run. issues. Oh, okay, so the Goblin Nation. Uh, Pretty uh, much run. and around that. And if, uh, Couple things here and there I've picked up, but I've read I've read everything. Um, uh, uh, post uh, I've pretty much okay. Uh, uh, for context, let me say um, I have not. Although it is my favorite comic book, if I had to pick one favorite comic book in all of 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 sequential periodic storytelling history, it would definitely be The Amazing Spider-Man. And I would say I've read every one since the beginning of J. Michael Straczynski's run. So that's everyone since 2001. Oh, wow. Um, that includes the entirety of uh, The Other, uh, Back in Black, One More Day, um, and uh, obviously the whole uh, Brand, Brand New, New Day. Day, Big Time, all that stuff. One Moment in Time. Right, exactly. So I've, I've read all of that, and I've read, uh, I've read uh, all through the Ditko run. So I, I, like, I did the whole beginning, and then I'm actually in my backstory reading, I'm just starting with Rumita. Uh, the Ramita years. That so. is my favorite period. Right, and I, the I Stanley Ramita stuff is amazing. And I have read bits and pieces in between. My very first issue ever, as I mentioned, I think in the last podcast, was a, uh, a Len Wein Ross Andrew issue from 1976. Okay. 
Um, and I've read The Death of Gwen Stacy. Oh, well, yeah. I've read the original Clone Saga with the original Jackal. I've read some of that, but not a bit yet. So, you know, I've read bits and pieces. So, anyway, my so now... So when that ended, when, you know, they got to Amazing Spider-Man 700, that ended, I went right into Superior Spider-Man. And I've read a lot of critiques of the Superior Spider-Man run on the internet. And I think a lot of them have been right on in that it was a great idea. Mm -hmm. And I applaud editor Stephen Wacker, writer Dan Slott, um, uh, occasional scripter Christos Gage, um, all the art talents involved, primarily Giuseppe Camicoli and uh, Humberto Ramos. I, I applaud them all for trying something different. Yes. In Insofar as it was um, when it started out and they were kayfabing for all they were worth that this is the new ongoing status quo, yeah. even though I don't think many of us bought that for well, a no, moment. The most anyone bought, bought that stuff was when they brought it into the century originally. And they said, oh, this is a character that Stan had created, yeah. created and this yeah. was yeah. – there was yeah. missing. We forgot to put it. He never got a chance to be in. Uh-huh. And that's the last time everyone believed, I think really believed Marvel when they were like, oh, this is how it really is. Yeah. It's supposed to be this. And realize, oh no, you just did this for this, this yeah. one series. But although I do cool. have to say, I do have to say, when um, the Century made his uh, debut in New Avengers, when they brought him into New Avengers, and they had um, um, all of that great like seventies pastiches, yeah, um, with the four, with the with the Bende dots and the whole oh, nine yards, it was great. That was selling it. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, Slot and Wacker at Al are kayfabing for all they're worth that the Superior Spider-Man. Ox Spidey is the new hotness. It is the new status quo. And is here forever. And is here forever. And Peter's dead and he's never coming back. Especially when they had that whole showdown between Peter's memories and Otto's memories up in uh, 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 the, in Peter's head. And was that 700, I think? No, no, no. This or... was a little later on. This was about six, seven issues oh, in okay. because Ghost Spidey had been had hanging been around. For... That's right. And then that. he's like, no, I know you're there and this is it. The final showdown. And Ock won and That's apparently right. wiped out Peter forever. Okay, I was a little buying it a little then. Because to be fair, even when you know, I don't care if I know what's coming. But if you, I can't figure out how you're going to pull it off. It's different. I'm on, I'm on board for that. I love it. And to be it. fair, in comics, enough, you know, when they kill people off and they do these changes, they always last forever and they always stay dead. So of course that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. of, of course we expected that it was not going to change. Mm-hmm. Right. So <laughs> so you know, I'm like, I'm loving that, and I'm thinking. Uh, uh, so I think, but they said it wore out its welcome, and the fact that Ock never really grew. That much for all that he fell in love with the absolutely delightful Anna Maria Marconi, for all that he did have that moment of clarity in Amazing Seven Hundred. Yes, I understand yeah. the responsibility, but the fact that okay, then he got into Superior Spider-Man, and um, uh, he was pretty much the arrogant. I'm going to do he this better to, by being Doc Ock. Basically, he tried to run it like he was when he did a super, as a supervillain. Exactly, he got his own headquarters. He had minions. Mm-hmm. Exactly, Spider Island, and yeah. So I guess my point is, is that I agree with a lot of the criticism that that sort of wore out its welcome because he wasn't showing a lot of character growth. The point, I guess, the use of it as an arc, as a story arc, kind of sort of ran its course well, maybe I, by issue 15 16 well i guess if he, he had too much of a character growth mm-hmm. it would have been defeated the purpose of bringing spider-man back right and then you wouldn't have wanted peter to come back but since they were selling it like peter's not coming back well wasn't it, i i kind of equated it similar to nightfall okay where bat bruce wayne batman had his back broken by bane and then in comes this guy Azrael, who's the new hotness and he was like the kind of not really parody but a version of like the 90s characters where everyone had bigger weapons, was more violent. It was did he more have belt about... pouches? Yes, he did. Okay. He had See? belt pouches, too. <laughs> he had giant claws on his Oh, hand. my God. Oh, my God. He, he was, was Wolverine. A... Oh, it was very metallic <laughs> costume. And he was more about getting the guy he was going after as opposed to saving somebody. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of that was – and they were saying, oh, this is new Batman. The whole uh-huh. point of that was to show why – Someone like Bruce Wayne was better as Batman instead of right. this new ver- at the nineties time in the nineties this new version of hero or anti-hero that was becoming very popular, which was all let's blow everything up and kill these guys and hopefully you know maybe someone get saved in the course, but that's by accident, right? And I think that might have been the point of Superior Spider-Man. And if they had him have too much of a character arc, no, you're right. We... Then you don't want 
I mean, I think the point was to have a little bit of feeling for Ak at the end mm-hmm. when he sacrificed himself. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. But not to have too much because then you don't want to have it like, you know, you want to be too much. You want people to want Peter Parker back. No, absolutely. And I agree with you completely. I say I'm, I'm sort of referring to that no man's land in the late teens Jeez. of the issues where they hadn't announced... Like, you know, because there was the announcement several months ago. So for the last, for pretty much the the course of the Goblin Nation arc that ended the series, uh, we knew uh, there was a new Amazing Spider-Man yes. coming back from the Humberto Ramos cover. We knew it was going to be Peter, yeah. you know. So we knew that was, was coming, but there was that little bit of no man's land there um, where we didn't really... Where where Ock Spidey had kind of worn out his welcome, but we didn't know Spidey Peter Spidey was coming back yet. Yeah, just yet. And I can agree with it. But that said, in retrospect, uh, taking the series as a whole, it had a lot of good moments. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Carly figuring it out with the help of uh, oh, okay, Captain yeah. former Captain Watanabe, yes. um, the Wraith. But I, I really like Carly Cooper's. I'm glad that she's. I'm, I'm not happy. The one thing that makes me sad, and I'm hoping it gets worked out and addressed and fixed, as it were, as we get into Amazing Spider-Man, is as, super, uh, more, again, spoilers, as Superior ended their last uh, issue, um, they kind of looked like they were writing both Carly and Mary Jane yes, they were out of the series. And that takes a huge chunk of what, to me, was the heart of the series out of it. So I'm curious to see... Well, whether they'll replace it going forward or whether they'll sort of undo it going forward. I don't know. Well, I mean, Spider-Man does have a big enough supporting cast that you literally can write out chunks of it for several years and go, well, let's focus on these people. You know, No, you're right. We're going to bring in uh, Joy Mercado and... Um, <laughs> Uh, wait, yeah, no, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. What was her? What was her name? Oh, the one he was dating in Team Up, Deborah. Deborah, Deborah Whitman. Deborah Whitman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going back into history there. But anyway, so but I mean, so they can have focus on these people for a while and bring them back in, and then they get right now because the next let's say slot leaves, and the next guy comes in, and he's like, let's bring back Mary Jane. Because you know she's coming back anyway. No matter what they do, Mary Jane is going to come back at some point. I hope so. That's my point, is the fact that I just hope they're not gone forever because really um, I think that there's a lot of, of story I want to... I mean, let's face it. Unlike a lot of other comic books, one of the appeals of Spider-Man as a franchise and The Amazing Spider-Man as a specific title is the... Um, Supporting uh, cast? The soap opera nature of yes. it. So there's a lot of story I feel is left to be told with uh, Carly and Mary Jane, and I want to see them come back. Okay, so, uh, but anyway, so Superior Spider-Man is over, is dead, long live the amazing Spider-Man. Yes, uh, and, and yeah, I'm sorry, you were going to say. I just have a quick question now. Yeah. The speculation real quick. We know Aka's going to come back. He's not going to be gone forever. Yeah, no, I don't think he's going to be gone forever. how is he coming back? Is he coming back as just... Doc Ock. And I'm not saying like physically. Mm-hmm. I'm talking more mentally. Will he be Doc Ock? As mm-hmm. in Doc Ock pre-700. Right. Will he be a, a almost semi-heroic Doc Ock? Mm. As in after Spear Spider-Man? Or are we getting two? Will we have... Are they going to have their cake and eat two? Are we going to have like a version of Doc Ock that had this Spear Spider-Man experience and also the Doc Ock that had none of it? Mm. That is... That is an excellent question, and what I'm really going to have to think about, I think perhaps the VR, we might see a return of the VR uh, technology that yeah. gave uh, Stunner her body. Uh, there was that arc going on yes. in there a bit, and um, you know, since that is tied in with Doc Ock a- a- as well. Um, That's all I was thinking of, actually. I-, I, think, I think that will definitely play into it, but aside from that, I'm not sure. I'll have to think about it and come back in a month yeah. and give you my uh, answer in issue three. Stay tuned, True Believers. Now, before I turn the pull list over to you, real quick, uh, the one other... I'll, I'm just going to like sort of name check what I'm reading, but also add in a question, which is the other thing that has really struck me lately has been the uh, X-Men versus S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the war against uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. that has... Uh, uh, sort of begun as a running storyline in Uncanny X Men, and uh, my question is: uh, that's an interesting amount of synergy. I'm going to get a little more into this a little later on, uh, given that I just saw uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier yes. last night, and in the the cinematic universe and in the uh, the television show Agents of Shield, they have been really working the whole corruption of Shield, the downfall of Shield, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, how do you think that's a deliberate bit of synergy that the X Men in uh, uh, the comics have gone to war with S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, at this time? 
It's possible. It's Bendis. It's possible he's doing that. I mean, I know it can't be really true synergy with that because they can't use X-Men or Mutants really in that Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's and true because, because Sony owns all those. No, yeah, I'm sorry. Fox, Fox owns all and the actually X-Men rights. I haven't had a chance to read much about it. Just a rumor that apparently they're talking about an X-Men show. I could see that. I could see that. I mean, right now the time is right for yeah, such of course, things. Part of me is excited about that. Part of me is disappointed because I'd rather have Marvel slash Disney get control of it again mm-hmm. and just put everything in house. Mm-hmm. And then we could have Wolverine in, you know, Avengers 4 or 3 or, you know, we could have Sunspot or Cannonball for the New Mutants as like somebody they, you know, they, they deal with in an episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I could see that. I could see that. Or anything else, you know, just... But anyway, it was just something That's that just actually just occurred to me, and I wanted to mention. So, uh, so, but that will do it for my pull list. What you, what you got? I see, I see sitting in front of you a uh, a comic I most enjoyed. So yes. uh, I'm looking forward to this discussion. This is Nightcrawler number one. Yes, from Marvel. Uh, the writer is Chris Claremont. Yes, Chris Claremont is back writing the Fuzzy Elf and uh, art by Todd Nock. Who I have to say, I was uh, I, I found the art a little disappointing. Not. It's not bad in and of itself, but I really got spoiled uh, by Ed McGuinness's art in uh, The Search X-Men. for Nice Crawler arc in Amazing X-Men. It was so um, just good in every way that I like that, um, that, that seeing now Nightcrawler, the resurrected Nightcrawler, drawn by somebody besides Ed McGuinness is, is a come down any which way you slice yeah, it. I you know what Todd I'm saying? Nock. I liked him since he was on Young Justice okay. back in the 90s but when Peter David was writing it. And his art was, I mean, his changes definitely was more stylized before. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely... It's uh, a little its a little like a cross between, if I had to characterize it, I'd say it's like a cross between uh, um, Michael Avon Oming and uh, uh, Joe Maderera. Yes, and it was much more closer <laughs> to the Joe Mad stuff earlier. Uh-huh. And that's been softened a bit. And I like some of the Joe Mad stuff, but sometimes he goes a little too crazy for my taste at mm-hmm, least. Mm-hmm. And Todd, so I'm actually liking this art a lot because this is uh, Todd Knox stuff softened a bit, let's say. Okay. To be okay. a little more of a balance as opposed to closer to the Joe Mad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is the story. Nightcrawler's back, as we've talked about before. I think yeah. we talked about last time. Uh, the Amazing X Men. It was a great arc. Although yeah. I do have to say, real quick, um, I love it when this happens because um, it saves me money because I'm spending quite enough money on comic books yes. per month right now. Sorry the fact that the fact that issue six turned out to be Jason Aaron's last on Amazing X-Men is delightful because that means I don't have to buy it anymore. You can stop. I, I follow writers. I don't yeah. follow properties. I don't follow characters. I follow the writers. So, Ooh, I have something interesting to talk about that yeah. in a second, so I want to be brief. But yeah, this. let's finish up on uh, yeah. Nightcrawler number one here. But, so it's all about him getting back, used to being back. He's back with the school, and he's mm-hmm. back. Uh, he's actually hanging out with uh, Rachel Gray, mm-hmm. formerly Rachel Summers. Uh, Phoenix from Excalibur. They even mm-hmm. have a Excalibur posters. They're hanging out together. I know that that was that was such a delightful Easter egg for me because um, that was that was to me the height of Claremont's powers was the uh, first twenty four issues of Excalibur. That to me but was yeah, the best that ever was. The singer Nightcrawler's couch, and behind him he has two posters, and one's basically the cover of Classic X Men one. Yes, by Arthur Adams, and the other one is the cover for Excalibur, Excalibur one, one by, by Alan, da- the great Alan okay. Davis, who remains just for our listeners' uh, information. My number one favorite comic book artist of all time. For mm-hmm. me, it goes it goes Alan Davis and then uh, Chris Bocciolo. and oh. then um, as far as I mean, you could say Arthur Adams, but he never really successfully got into doing anything on a monthly basis. Not he regularly. was mostly a cover artist or a special, so, right? Or special, special you know. So I'd have to say maybe John Byrne would be a, a, a number, a, a strong number three. I have to think about my list because I just come I'm, back to us in issue three and give us your yes. list of favorite artists of all time. But I have to say one thing about Nightcrawler one. Yes. Now I was listening to another podcast recently. They did a review of uh, they would just picked a random issue from years ago and they did Sovereign Seven number eleven. Ah, oh, yes. And one thing they were talking about was how extra wordy it was and not just wordy but wordy in the way of telling you things that the art's showing you right right which was always a i mean not as bad as it was in the stanley jack kirby years yes. which i've i've i know it's a bit more of a uh, criticism claremont especially post his original x-men run uh-huh you know it was a little bit wordy when he was doing x-men but then like his stuff afterwards it seemed to allow people to be more very too wordy like yeah. when he came back to x-men i remember is... thinking that about um um uh uh aliens predator uh uh 
uh, what was it, uh, Survival of the Species or whatever, that 12-issue. Or Marines or something no, like that? No, he did a 12-issue yes. um, Aliens Predator run for Dark Horse, um, and I thought that about that, and also his uh, guest shots on uh, Cyberforce and Wildcats in the 90s, okay, which I, I did read. I've read those ones. Um, but uh, he was super wordy, super, yeah. super wordy. This is Claremont getting back to what he was in the originally. Yes. This is a lot less wordy. I mean, it's still Claremont. It still has some of his tropes. It has still has some of his bit of his... Eloquence, let's say. Or, His tricks of the trade, yeah. the kind of scenes he likes. But this is a, kind of a Claremont getting closer to writing modern as opposed to basically trying to, you know, coming back, well, at the time in the 90s, early 2000s modern, but still trying to light, write like it was 1981. Right. This is Claremont much closer to writing a Today book. Right. He's got that decompressed storytelling thing down a little better. You know? Exactly. So I was very happy with this. I'm definitely going to give it a couple more issues at least to read, but I'm very happy because I like Chris Claremont. He is... From growing up reading X-Men and New Mutants, that run of his that he Yes, did, the best, the it, best. He is one of my favorite writers, and I was not happy that I was not loving his stuff. I am in complete agreement. And I am liking this a lot more than I did mo- I've liked most of his stuff since he left the X-Men originally. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that while doing it monthly, he will just get even better and better. Right, he'll get back into the flow. Let me uh, say one thing about Nightcrawler 1 and then ask you a question. Um, the one thing about Nightcrawler uh, number one, I would say, is, was, I, and I recommend it wholeheartedly to anybody listening, oh, because great. for me, it struck, exa- you know, it's great when, when you have a comic that comes loaded with expectations, and it winds up giving you exactly what you want, because for me, the th- great thing about Nightcrawler 1, and the reason I recommend it so wholeheartedly, is because it struck the perfect balance between that sort of um, introspectiveness, the sort of... It didn't forget that Nightcrawler's been dead, that he's just been resurrected from the dead with a horrible, horrible, like, shafting of a deal. Yes. You know, which is the whole, like, you know, he lost his soul. Yeah. And yeah. for a man as deeply religious as it's he him. is, and that, something that's I... That's bad. Uh, something, you know, as, as a religious person myself that I identify... That makes him a very strongly identifiable character for me, um, he, you know, that is, a, that, is, that is a punch to the gut. And so... You have that introspectiveness, that sadness, but you haven't lost that that zest, that that spirited, uh, uplifting Nightcrawler uh, uh, happiness either. And and Claremont struck the perfect balance, now, and I loved it. Two criticisms I will give about the book, though. Okay, <clears throat> and one could be excused because it might be it doesn't have to be done in the first issue. It could come up soon. Mm-hmm. That's not mentioned. The mm-hmm. whole soul thing is not mentioned here at all. Okay. Yeah. No, I picked that up more in uh, Amazing X Men. But still, you think it yeah. would be. But that doesn't have to be in the first issue. That can come out in the first few issues. Right. Exactly. But the whole thing with the Bamps coming back with him, yes, and being around him and all that, it's just they're just there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that is. I, I think maybe you should have mentioned who all these little guys were. Yeah, where and they came from. Why they're there, at least just in a panel briefly, mentioning it to somebody. When he goes to see his ex girlfriend, maybe. Amanda, Amanda Sefton? Yeah. I was about to say Amanda Seyfried, you know, but that's not his ex girlfriend. How much he knows that the Bamps are real and around. As far as she knew, it was just a, a doll, a stuffed doll of his that he had that yeah. was, they called a Bamp. And all of a sudden, there's like 20 of them around him. They could have done a one panel explanation real quick. You don't have to do. You know, six issues explaining it. One panel. That's why they're here. Boom. I can. I think that for first issue, that should have been in there. I can kind of agree with that to an extent, but let me let me just speak from experience. The fact is, you know, I picked up. I didn't read the X Men for a long, long time. I got back into the X Men. I dropped the X Men after Claremont left, mm. and I got didn't get back into the X Men until um, uh, Avengers versus X Men a couple oh, years wow. ago. Okay, so I missed the whole schism thing. I missed the whole second Genesis thing. I missed a ton of important developmental yeah. stuff. I was back so, and forth on it for years after after Claremont left. So since then, you know, it's like that's that was reading the ish the tie Avengers versus X Men tie in issues of Wolverine and the X Men was what turned me into a Jason Aaron fan. Okay, um, I was reading those issues of Wolverine and the X Men, and I now know. That that's where the Banffs came from. Like, they were yeah. sort of introduced in the first issue of that series. Oh, which is an amazing issue, by the way. Right. But my, I guess my point is that for over a year, I was, like, sort of lolloping along with these issues and seeing these Banffs everywhere and not really sort of understanding where they came from. But the thing about the X-Men is you hang around the X-Men long enough... There's a lot of unexplained shit. Well, yeah. I do not know, to this day, how Jubilee became a friggin' vampire... And I don't want to know almost mm, because it's like you're right. It's like it's just a thing. It's just it's there and okay. 
I'm still trying moving to figure, on with your I'm life. I'm still trying to figure out who Adam <laughs> X the Extreme is. Oh my God, like, we don't even want to. Wasn't he supposed to be the third Summers brother? Yeah, I, or I the have. Third, you know, I don't know, brother. and I sure don't. Which. Yeah, and I don't really want to know. And wow. And anyway, anyway moving on. You got anything else uh, new to uh, yes. mention while we? Uh... One thing I want to get to real quick, and mm-hmm. I, it's gonna be quick because I haven't read it yet. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But here's the thing. Um, like you said before, I'm more into the writers. I mean, the good comic is gonna have somebody who's amazing on art and amazing. Right. Writing. Exactly. John Burns running Fantastic Four. Yes. To get one person. Mark Wade and Mike Ringo on Oh, Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four. What a gr- I only just read that a couple of months ago, and man, did I love the Claremont face off it. Claremont and Byrne on X-Men. Yes, I mean, Claremont and you, Davis on Excalibur. Exactly. You need a good balance of both types of really yeah. good. But I can generally forgive okay or not that great art, yes, as it, long as the story's pretty decent. That's why I put up with Michael A. Von Oming in Powers. I mean, I am no fan of his art, and I've been reading it for over ten years but now, you and like I never writing. warmed up to it. But I love it, you know. And it's a little easier for me to do, you know, do that than the other way around, where right. the art's beautiful, but there's no story. Oh God, I am with you a hundred percent on but that. But the book I just picked up this week, and it's mm-hmm. issue three, mm-hmm. and uh, because of the artist, it comes out. I mean, it's been coming out for the last two years. That's only in issue three, <laughs> but because of this, I don't have to read it to know I could recommend it. Okay. And the writer is good. Okay. So, but doesn't matter. It's called Frankenstein Alive, Alive. Okay. By IDW. Okay. The writer is Steve Niles. Okay, I've heard of him. He does a lot of uh, horror stuff. Okay. Um, the art is by Bernie Wrightson. Oh, I know Bernie Wrightson created the original Swamp Thing back in C, and he's holding up a page to me, and that is classic. It's it's colored and shaded in a very modern 21st century way, but the lines are 100% early 70s classic horror comic crypt of evil and stuff. And it's beautiful, the background the way he makes the monster look these skull, little all these little skulls in the background i don't i don't have a whole a lot story. of exposure to bernie wrightson i've seen the covers you know of the early swamp thing stuff and whatnot yeah. but i i mean most of the horror stuff i've read is the uh, early 70s marvel stuff that was mostly drawn by mike plug who was an amazing horror oh God, yeah. artist in and of himself but i'm looking at this and this is gorgeous and yeah yeah, yeah i, I can up see the first that's... issue like a year and a half two years ago okay and i was like oh i like steve niles because he's on a series for dark horse called criminal macabre mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was kind of like a Hardboiled detective who is now basically, you know, junkie almost. Okay. But he deals with all these supernatural cases and his best friend's like a zombie. And, you know, he, it's kind of, so like he deals with all these supernatural cases while trying to get himself, you know, as drunk as possible to deal with the fact that this is his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think actually, I'm trying to remember, I feel stupid. I think he was the writer of, for 30 Days of Night. I think that's that his sounds, creation. That sounds vaguely familiar. That might have been where I heard of him. I think that's his, or co-creation because I forget yeah. who the artist was, but I think that's him. And so that's why I picked up. I liked his stuff, and I knew Brightson was good. Mm-hmm. But looking at the art of this, I'm like, it is a stunning, stunningly and no gorgeous it comes book. Comes out every several months only because they probably let him take as long as he wants to do this. And you know what? You want that. Like I think I think the yeah. people like you who are into that book, they're like, if it's going to look this good, if it's going to take six months, but it's going to look so this good. This is something I will say. I am going to get even if they don't have words in it. Because the fact that Stephen Hills is writing this Frankenstein story, which takes place after the book, mm-hmm. is good. It's entertaining. But, oh, my God, the art's amazing. Plus, actually, a cool thing, if you like writing then, mm-hmm. at the back of the, each book, they have another. They have a chapter of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, sweet. So Nice, because that's public domain. You can do that. Yeah. So I like you it. You actually do get both. Now, maybe even if you don't like Steve, let's say you don't like Steve Niles, you're not exactly getting them together in one story, but you're getting a classic literature and you're getting amazing art. Definitely cool. worth looking picking up. That just came out like a week or two ago. Frankenstein, alive, alive. Yep. So, uh, so now it is time to move on, and I want to keep this quick because I know yep. we have a couple of other things to talk about. So I'm going to keep my long boxes pretty quick. The long boxes is uh, the older stuff that we've been reading. So here's all I'm going to say: the older stuff. It's not that that old, but one thing I'm going to mention super quick is I just read the entire 28 issue run of uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man. The Miles Morales okay. uh, run. And I, um, what I'm going to say about it is um, one thing about the 21st century in comics is the way this decompressed storytelling has become the dominant style. Yes. And where the, the basic unit of storytelling is no longer the issue. It's, it's now the, the, the arc, the six well, issue. That's like, real quick, that's like the first six issues or seven issues of the first version of Ultimate Spider-Man was basically the Amazing Fantasy 15 story. Right, exactly. But it was spread out and better for it. I like this. So basically, all I'm going to say to you is that the um, read in that way as a whole in those in those collections and in like 
all at once instead of waiting month to month, it works gorgeously. It is it is up to the standards that the Ultimate Spider-Man brand has really come to represent something awesome. And it is up to those standards. And um, real quick, the last thing I'm going to say is um, I wrote a column for our for our website, fourcolor.podwits.com, about the launch of all-new Ultimates number yes. one, which, which sort of spun out of the end of the uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man uh, run. And... Um, you could see it sort of coming together in that last in that Spider-Man No More arc that ended the last that ended um, uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, and I wasn't a hundred percent thrilled with the debut issue of All New Ultimates. Uh, it's not written. I can't remember. I, I'm sorry. I can't remember the name of the writer, writer and the yeah. uh, artist on it. But it's not written by Bendis. And it took me a while. And I was thinking about it. And I was thinking about it. And it was only when I went back and I read the I read all these 28 issues all in a row that um, I realized what it is about Bendis's writing that this was missing. Okay. What makes Bendis's writing unique is he really likes to dwell on the personal moments and and do it well. Not just like Claremont, where Byrne used to say, if, if it was up to Chris, they'd all be sitting around in their civvies like having conversations about their feelings all the time, yeah. which is one thing. <laughs> Bendis really shows like people meeting each other and getting to know each other, and it's such a lovely thing to watch. It makes you love these characters so that then when they get into the big fisticuffs and the punch-em-ups, you're like, you're, you're like completely into who they are and how they're interacting with each other in the context of the action. And that's something that all-new Ultimates really missed in my opinion for especially for an issue one yeah you really did not get a sense of these people in relation to each other you were sort of introduced to who they were and what they could do and then boom we're into this drug storyline and bang and you know it's more about the sassy and the attitude than it was about those interpersonal moments and i missed that now i'm gonna give it some time and it might get a lot better and i love the characters and i'm into the concept so i'm sticking with all new but going back and rereading that uh, uh, and that 28 issue run of Ultimate Comics Spider-Man really did put a bit of a fine point on that. So there was that. And uh, real quick, I'm just going to mention what's up next on my old issues uh, reading list because I never actually read it, but I just did see Captain America: The Winter Soldier in theaters, uh, and it was possibly not just one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen, especially of the recent space. Yes, it was one of the smartest, best action movies I've seen ever. Everyone was smart. But decent, um, uh, usually in action movies, that's inversely proportional. Like the more decent a person is, the sort of more gullible and and yeah, foolish dumb they they are and, and easily taken advantage of. This was not the case in this movie. So anyway, it was great. So now I've got both volumes of Captain America: The Winter Soldier, by, written by Ed Brubaker and drawn by Steve Epping. I read those a while ago. Those I've good. I've got them lined up, and they are uh, next on my list. So are you watching the show real quick? Shield. Um, I was, and then when it became when it was sort of made clear on the internet that from the mo- from the week that. Captain America and the Winter Soldier was released that it played into. Like, they were trying to make yes. it sort of stand on its own, but it really did play off of everything that happened in the movie. I haven't watched one since. Okay, but you are watching. Now that I've seen the movie... Then I'm not going to say anything. I'm three episodes behind because it's been three weeks since yes. the movie was released. Another one uh, tomorrow night, actually. Yeah, well, so. But I have three episodes now to watch, so I'm going to start doing that pretty much after we uh, after we finish recording this podcast, but as of right now, I'm three episodes behind on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But that's my long boxes. What uh, old stuff have you been uh, into? Well, I've been uh, reading several things, but the one I want to mention real quick uh, today is something I've actually been reading in uh, I'm not done with it yet. It's in four different trades I have, or five trades, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Jack Kirby's Fourth World. Ah, uh, yes, four omnibus volumes. Well, actually, I have the, I have the trades that came out several years ago. Okay. Which is actually a bit of a pain because I'm trying to read them in order, so I have to keep going up and looking to figure out, wait, which one's next, and then grabbing the right volume. See, the the the, the Jack Kirby Fourth World omnibus uh, that they put out in four volumes. Does have it all. In that order. has them all in the suggested reading order, which is you know very much a rotation between the titles. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm just looking them up and figure out which one came out next, and I'm reading them in the order they would have. I'm trying to read them in the order that they would have come out if I was buying them back in like '72 or '71. <laughs> so we have Forever People and New Gods, which mm-hmm. I would say is a tie for my number three of them. Okay. Uh, we have Mr. Miracle, which yes. is number two. Yeah. And then my favorite of the bunch. Really? Is Superman's pal, pal Jimmy Olsen. Olsen. Jack Kirby is one of the few people to do an awesome Jimmy Olsen. Jack Kirby's Jimmy Olsen kicks ass. 
Jack Kirby's Jimmy Olsen is cool. Jack Kirby's Jimmy Olsen doesn't give a damn. He tells Superman <laughs> off when he has to. That is true. That is true. You I... can actually see for once why. Because a lot of times with like, especially Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane, you read them, especially like Silver Age versions, and you go, why the hell would Superman care about these people? I mean, he's They're, Superman, they're, he's they're complete everybody. ciphers, you know? Jimmy Olsen, why are they his best friends? Jimmy Olsen just says, oh gosh, gee whiz, and wuss, and <laughs> Lois is this horrible shrew who either wants to only prove Clark Superman, uh-huh. or doesn't believe Clark Superman, and therefore hates Clark. Right. And also always criticizes him for not being like Superman. Yeah, because Golden Age so and Silver Age people. storytelling had problems with character, I yeah. think, to a certain extent. And I'm like, why would you like this person? Yeah. She's horrible. Yeah. I hate her. That was one of the great things about the Burn reboot in 86, The Man of Steel. Uh, that Lois was... Actually likable. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. But Jimmy... You know, again, it's like, why does Superman hang out with this kid? I mean, yeah, he's going to rescue him because he's Superman, but why the hell would he care about him? No, this Jimmy, like, you could see why Superman would, like, find this kid to be someone who will not be friends with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This kid, like, runs in the middle of danger. He's loyal to his friends, and he doesn't care what happens. He just jumps into danger. <laughs> yes. He behaves like Superman would, but mm-hmm. without the powers, which is also why Superman, you know, probably there to keep an eye on him. Yeah, exactly. But Jack Kirby is one of the few people to write a cool Jimmy Olsen. Although I, I, I you know what, I read, I read up to, if you're reading it in the suggested order, I have read up to the first issue of uh, Forever People. Um, and I have to say, um, so I read a good couple, few issues, you know, I'm just a of few the, past that actually. Right. A good few issues of, um, Jimmy Olsen. Because that came out first, like a few right, months before a few, everything like else. Like they had a three, four issue run up before they got into the fourth world titles proper. And so the whole bit with the Harrys and yes, all that. The Zoom way. And, and the Zoom way. And I have to say the Newsboy Legion is, 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 it was hard for me to warm up to them. You know, flip a dippa. <laughs> well, yeah, they try to make him too. Jack, I didn't. I didn't get like Jack like Kirby, Kirby is a weird dude. <laughs> Jack Kirby is better when he tries to stay away from being cool and hip. Yeah, yeah. And he just writes a character as a character, and that's it. Yeah. And flip, yeah, no, flip a dippa was much better later on when uh, he was done by other people who just made him called Flip. Yeah, okay. And they ignored See, the whole flip a dippa stuff and the whole scuba diving stuff. Although, to be fair, um, just Jer- real quick, uh, I did recently have a chance to get a look at some of the Golden Age issues of uh, the old uh, timely comic called uh, Young Allies, yes. which was led by Bucky Barnes and uh, the original Human Torch sidekick Toro. Toro. But they had three other guys hanging around with them, and one of them. Uh, the the black kid in the straw oh. hat was one of the most egregious, offensive, old school um, stereotypes. Yes, massa uh, uh, pickaninny stereotypes I've oh, ever it's... ever had the unfortunate. Uh, it makes it hard to read. It's pretty much just comedy of just looking at him, but you can't even read it for the comedy. You, you just can't. look at it, it's just going, oh my God, God this laugh, is horrible. And then I'm done now. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I'm interested in reading it as a historical artifact, but it's very difficult to stay at, with for that reason. At least so, Flippa, while he's... Flippa Dippa was a, such an improvement on yeah, that. Yes, while he's bad because he's trying to... Kirby's trying to be hip, yeah. quote-unquote, and cool. Uh-huh. At least he's not trying to make... This kid be like, oh, this is someone who's black. And that's right. what they're all like. He's just trying to be... He's just plumping him in with... This is a kid. It's a bad character, but it's not an offensive yeah, character, and that's an important a, a distinction. Child. He's like yeah. he's a kid under six, under fifteen, so therefore that's what they're all like. Yeah, but he's lumping all of them together. Yeah, that's true. Black, Absolutely white, Asian, true. whatever. He's like he's an American kid. That's what they all behave like. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm in agreement. But, but yeah. beyond that, I mean, and yeah, there's some things about you know. Kirby's stuff is okay, but like his art, you know, his stories are always better when he works with somebody else. Like yes. his stuff, best stuff with Stan. But still, New Gods is fun and enjoyable, and it's some memorable characters. And you have to read it just so that you understand, you know, where Dark Side and Apocalypse come from because they became such a, an integral part of, of the, the entire, entire DC, DC thing, they even after the Kirby main left. Villain of DC, basically, right, exactly. So you have to kind of, you know, it's like if you're ever gonna like read or take in any DC at all. You've really got to kind of just take in the fourth world stuff just to see this. Like this for the same reason that you have to kind of, if you're going to read Marvel stuff, you kind of have to read the, the Lee Kirby run of Fantastic Four yeah. just to see where all of these foundational... The majority of it comes from. Yeah, was, was created, exactly. But also he tries doing new things, at least with each series. I mean, they all have different flavors. Mm-hmm. Each, even though they're all Kirby, he's trying to make each series, you know, Mr. Miracle is basically very personal about the two of them, about Miracle and Barda. And I love Barda. I love Kirby. Is Barda, which yes. weirds me out because I don't know why, but I love her. <laughs> 
and like new gods. It's this like kind of underground war going on, and then for people, kind of this his version oh, that of was flower hippie, children, hippie dippy, as bad as it as but hippie dippy as that ever was. At least no, you're right. Make them all distinct and different. And right, it's exactly. It's just a fun thing to read, and it's a very seventies piece. Very early seventies. Did you get to the Funky Flashman uh, issue yet? Well, I mean, I've read them the years infamous ago. Funky Flashman. I read Man. them years ago, but not in this room. Uh-huh. And but House yeah. Roy. Yeah. <laughs> Long story. We're not going to get into it now because we got other stuff to touch on too. But real quick for people who aren't listening, um, Kirby held some really bitter, resentful feelings towards his old employers uh, at Marvel, Stanley and Roy Thomas, when he left Marvel. And that's so, who Funky Flashman is. Stanley, Funky Flashman, and his and his little uh, little flunky uh, uh, House Roy were as unflattering a parody of Stan and Roy as you could possibly imagine put on the page. Actually, Flashman I know came back in like the late eighties. Did he really? Mr. Miracle. Oh, man. When he was part of the Justice League. So anyway, before we run out of time, we got to move on to the news uh, portion of our uh, segment. And I really, Al, I really want to get your thoughts um, on, uh, well, let me explain to the listeners first real quick. Because it was, was, as far as I'm concerned, it was kind of the biggest sort of thing going on in the comics press as it were, at least the comics internet, over the month since we last spoke. So, comics Twitter. Right, exactly. So real quick, um, uh, back on April 11th, um, a, 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 someone named Janelle Asselin, who apparently used to edit Batman comics for DC, um, but I don't really have a, a detailed bio on her, but she wrote a very thoughtful piece, I think it was a fine piece, for Comic Book Resources, in which she points out... They uh, they uh, released the uh, the the uh, Kenneth Roquefort cover for the new next run of, of Teen, Teen Titans, Titans. In, that DC is publishing, and the cover she thought that the cover was a bad cover, so she wrote a piece called Anatomy of a Bad Cover, and I thought it was a thoughtful critique of what was wrong with it as a piece of art. And she had several cr- criticisms: the fact right. that Bunker, the non-white character, is so far back you can't even tell that he's not white. The ridiculous body that they drew on Wonder Girl. Yes, uh, pers- perspective issues and things right. like that. Yeah, I. Can't even I'm serious I looked at it and still to this day I cannot figure out where Red Raven's supposed to be you know yes. like with the door and the wall and anyway it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing so she wrote a very thoughtful piece well a few days later I read another piece you know usually when I read a piece like that and then I like to see if there's some response or whatever yeah. a couple of days later a comedian and podcaster by the name of Brett White wrote a, a, a sort of thing on on comic book resources as well called anatomy of a bad reaction and it was through reading this that I that I learned that apparently since Janelle Aslan wrote her piece she was subjected to some serious blowback on social media, on Twitter and on forums and whatnot. And not just blowback, but inappropriate, inappropriate violent, threats of violence, rape. rape threats, the most unthinkable misogyny. I think I saw even things on her Twitter that she had to call the police because there apparently were uh, cyber attacks on her bank account. Wow. I did not know that. That is... So so basically, and so basically what it comes down to, and the reason I'm sort of getting into it, is that incident in specific, but also um, a couple weeks ago you had WonderCon, and there was a bit, also a little bit of a, of a shitstorm over um, a t-shirt that was getting sold in the I've dealer's room that said, that. I like fangirls like I like coffee, I hate coffee. And it just it just makes you you put it all together and you put it together with other things that you've heard around just recently and over the last couple of years and it just makes you realize I'm 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 a 42 year old comic book fanboy that's why we're doing this podcast yes. and I love doing this podcast and I love comic books and I'm proud uh, that, that that they've gotten so good and everything why then in a community that is focused on something that is so good in my mind. Is there such a strong strain of, if nothing else, if nothing else bad, misogyny? Yeah. Like unacceptable, horrible sexism and misogyny. Why? I don't understand. Which I don't get. I don't understand. Because as someone who is in my late 30s, well, I'm 38, (laughs) and growing up, going to conventions and stuff, trust me, I would have loved it if there were girls there that enjoyed it too. Uh, hell, I married people who listen to the Podwitz podcast know well of my wife, the Empress, and who is who is one of the greatest you know people around. And one of the reasons, one of the many many reasons that I that I love her and I married her is you know 
she's a cool fangirl, you know? And yeah. I never once thought to myself, oh, a fan. No. Same thing awesome. with my, my fiance. I'm engaged right now. Granted, she doesn't read comics, but she has no problem with them. Mm -hmm. But I mean, she's into Buffy. Mm -hmm. I got her to, she mm -hmm. loves, she's now a big fan of Doctor Who. Yes. I yes. Mean, there's All a lot the good of, stuff. All the good stuff. Hell, the other, a few weeks ago, we were watching cable, and she's like, oh, and she changed the channel because Lethal Weapon was starting. <laughs> and she's like, how can we not watch this? And I'm like, uh, oh my I, God, I love you, can right? I propose again. <laughs> How can yes. you not want that? And right. we actually were talking about this in the ride home the other day. Okay. Um, I brought it up to her, I just mentioned mm -hmm. just to get her opinion on it. Mm -hmm. And her, one of her things that she was saying was, um, well, A, for the artwork, she was saying, uh, well, for one thing, this girl wasn't even saying that all artwork should not be like that with these ridiculous body types. Because she says mm -hmm. she does expect that a lot of the comic book artwork, especially for superhero stuff, yeah. is, they're going to look like Amazon Barbie. Right. But it's going to be like a bit it's of a fantasy. Happen. But at least, as, she says, A, for her, at least, as long as Orion is a bit of a, like an ass-kicking chick who's cool. Right. Right. And not this helpless thing that also looks like Amazon Barbie but can't do anything. Right, exactly. That helps. And she's like, and also... The guys there, it's not like all of you guys here in real life look like, you know, Captain America. She's like, in my fantasy, would I like a guy that looks like Thor? Sure. But that's mm -hmm. not the only thing I'm going to actually want to talk to or be involved with in real mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a fantasy. But she said, this woman was just talking about also a teenage girl. Right. An underage girl who was drawn with boobs that look like they're about to pop out. And, and that are clearly fake, which is inappropriate on so many levels. You know. But also, it's like, and if you don't like it, then it's an opinion. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, so and that's, that's, that's the most important her, part. Forgetting what her criticism was or not, does it matter? The point is, it's an opinion. It's yeah. her opinion, and she at least put it in a intelligent, thoughtful manner. Right. She was not being insulting to anybody. And it's just, again, you know, we go back to the, all the things you hear. I constantly hear horror stories from cool girls I, I know and who I, who I read online who went to con conventions and, you know, they love the cosplay and all that. And they get, like, you know, subjected to this ridiculous, like, elitism by the, by, by the men who attend these conventions. Oh. You know, like, oh, you know, well, if you're such a fangirl, do you know this? Like, like, they get held up to these ridiculous shibboleths. Like, they have, like, you know? like we all had to pass a quiz to get in. Right, exactly. It's like, well, if you're going to hang with us, you have, like, it, like, you remember the movie Diner, you know, and that ridiculous thing that the guy did with yeah. uh, quizzing, like, making his girlfriend, you know, like, like, learn all of the football well, knowledge or whatever. Well, actually, two things real quick. One, I just forgot the reason I was saying about the thing about talking mm -hmm. to my fiance was her thing was these are probably a bunch probably a lot of guys who were basically picked on and abused by you know girls or popular kids and now they feel like the popular kids are coming into their club mm -hmm. and it's like no 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 this is my thing now you kick me out of everything you had this is mine go away or I hurt you right which but these aren't like but for the most part the victims of that lashing out are not like popular kids they're they're nerd girls just like them but they're girls and I think they well, just be yeah, lumped no in. that's true it's a it's a fear of women is what it is I think you know that that that, that prompts it but um and yeah. it's sad and pathetic because it is these, now these are girls you actually would have a shot with them for some of these people because they actually have something to talk about. Yeah, and they're they're probably you know they're creative, you know they're into they're into interesting stuff. They're not just into like oh you know how do I look and let me text my friends twenty four seven. And what's wrong with somebody not knowing stuff that you know? One of my things I like when people get into stuff that I like is seeing them learn about the stuff that I exactly. love and going, did you finally, did you see now this one thing that I told you to watch? And they're right. like, yes, or did you read that comic? They're like, and, oh, and they turn you that on That was amazing. Stuff. I like, mean, one of the things after I, I dropped, I dropped comics, you know, the first time, I've dropped them a couple of times in my life, but the first time I dropped comics um, was, you know, I didn't just drop X-Men when Claremont left. I dropped comics, comics altogether. What brought me back into it eventually was a, um, a, a friend a female friend who turned me on to David Max Kabuki, okay, which then led to uh, uh, um, uh, Strangers in Paradise, and that led to my discovering Brian Bendis through Jenks, uh, through Fire, through Goldfish, Fish. and then Torso. it's all been down right, and it's all been downhill since then. Yes, but yeah, you're right. It's a, a girl turned me on to those and got me back into comics, and I learned about all these things from her. So how cool is that? Yeah. So. Last thing, because we are running out of time, and man, we got to get better. We got we're yes. getting better. We're getting we better. Getting you know, better. stick with us, folks. It only gets better from here. But real quick, Can't did get you worse. hear about? <laughs> did you hear about Comixology? Yes. Um, they uh, pulled the purchase option from the iOS and Apple versions of their app. Why do you think that is? And because I know they got bought by Amazon. Amazon. 
Um, so do you think that's just like a, a, a bullshit Amazon, like, uh, Amazon lashing out and trying to I've heard punish both. people for using iPads to read their comics? I think that's stupid if it is. But. I've heard both versions. I've heard versions that it's uh, Apple making them change it because they don't want you know they want to make because now it's on another platform that the money goes to a competitor. They want to make it harder. And I heard that it was Amazon trying to get back. I don't really know. I know a lot of times in these things, it seems like more and more they're everyone's trying to do their own version of everything, and they want you to use their version and no one else's. But if you want to use their version on the, I mean, it still is the Comixology app. Just because it's on an iPad, why would you prevent people from giving you their money? You yeah. know, that's what I do not understand. I don't know. I, I I read an interview that was done uh, just on the uh, very uh, this. Uh, on the 27th of April, um, Comic Book Resources did an interview with um, Chip Mosher, who is uh, Comixology's Vice President of Communications and Marketing, and they asked him about that. His answer was absolute corporate, meaningless bullshit. Yes. It, he said, and I quote, um, we uh, want to strike, quote, the best balance between prices, selection, and customer experience. And that doesn't mean it, – it doesn't have anything to do with anything. You're not answering – you're a politician and you're not answering the exactly. question we ask. Oh. And see, the thing is I read about this a bit. I wasn't paying too much attention because <laughs> to be selfish, it doesn't affect me because I do have a lot of – I do read comicology. I have mm-hmm. a lot of free comics and I have a lot of their 99-cent deals. Mm-hmm. I buy a lot of stuff. I mean I am only about – a several months behind on, let's say, most of the Valiant books because mm-hmm. they keep doing 99-cent deals, and I just keep buying all the current Valiant run. But Valiant's I'm, the company that publishes uh, uh, Quantum and Woody? Yes. Okay. Quantum and Woody, and they used to publish Magnus and Solar, but Archer now, and Armstrong? Archer and Armstrong, but they do publish Archer and Armstrong, Exo Man of War, Bloodshot, okay. um, Eternal Warrior. But the reason I'm weird with digital comics, because uh-huh. most of the people read on their phone or their pa- tablet or something, I've always read them on my laptop. I sit uh-huh. on my couch... I go to the Marvel Unlimited site, and I have a subscription to that. I go to my comicology on there, and I read stuff there. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I'm happy reading it that way. So I have the app on my phone. I can't remember the last time I even used it. Well, see, I do. I buy all of my new comics through Comixology on day of release. I have gone completely digital with my comic book reading. So now I'm wondering if I should show, like, express my disapproval of this by withholding my business, which would mean not reading comics. Understood. Or, and for, your, for you, yes, I can see why. Or if I should swallow, like, I want my comics, so I will ignore this well, behavior. Well, did they also send everybody, like, a $5 They did, and I, and I promptly used it to buy six on-sale 99-cent issues and, so, of uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man. <laughs> so, again, in the selfish version, for me, all that means is it's not changing for me because I'm reading the website, and I got five bucks free. Yeah, fair For point. me, this is an awesome deal. <laughs> we report, we report, you decide. But anyway, sadly, that is all the time we have for this issue. We've reached page 23. And I'm almost out of coffee. <laughs> oh, crap, that's not good. Uh, so thank you for listening to us. Once again, my name's Brian Zeno of the Podwitz Podcast. You can check me out at podwitz.com. And I'm Al Sedano, Resurrections and Adam Warlock Podcast. And you can find me at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. When you should, it's an awesome podcast. And um, also, uh, you can check us out at fourcolor.podwits.com. And uh, eventually, soon, I will have this all working on iTunes. So if you downloaded this on iTunes, that means you're living in the future and we got it working. So cool, time travel. Semi stock tips. <laughs> exactly. But uh, thanks. And uh, ch- uh, we'll be back in uh, 28 days with uh, the next. Uh, Four Color Fanboys podcast. So thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.